0: This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available. Intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com.
1: It's something that I've really struggled with, especially, you know, in the lead up to leaving on this trip, because when I left on this trip, I had enough money in the bank to pay off the remainder of my student loans in one lump sum and then have like a little bit left over. But that would have restarted the clock of needing to slave away at the, the nine-to-five job that was ruining my life.
0: That was a clip from the conversation here today with Mike Barr, who quit his job in real estate in New York City, sold all of his stuff to leave on a round-the-world motorcycle trip. At the time of recording, he was a little over 40,000 miles in, riding his motorcycle from... Alaska to the southern tip of South America. And you heard him there talking about some of his struggles with debt, trying to figure out if he should take this chunk of money and pay off his college debt, which at the time of coming out of school, he was $28,000 in debt, or should he use the money to travel? One of the many things that can come up when you're deciding and planning for a long term trip, perhaps becoming nomadic perhaps taking your show on the road for an extended period of time. And in this episode, I do want to share a couple of things you can do to help yourself get unblocked if you have something that has you feeling stuck in life, in business, in travel, anything like that, uh, relating to the content you'll hear in today's interview. And also somebody you can check in with who always has the ability to offer you some encouraging words, inspiration, and direction in life. So you hear those two things, along with Mike's story, why he quit his job, how one of his big hobbies now plays into his solo travel experience, something to think about there, why it's important to figure out your own system when you're traveling. He shares his advice on motorcycle travel, including costs, what type of motorcycle to consider purchasing, many other things to consider. We also talk about how he just dove in with his hobby of photography and is working to make it a business. And outside of the motorcycle advice, even if you don't plan on ever traveling the world with a motorcycle, plenty of other big themes here to help you unpack whatever's next for you in your journey. And I'm excited to share the conversation with you today. So let's get into it. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend
1: you're listening to the zero to travel podcast where we explore exciting travel-based work lifestyle and business opportunities helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams and now your host world wanderer and travel junkie jason moore hey
0: what's up it's jason here with zerototravel.com welcome to the show my friend thanks for hanging out letting me bring a little travel into your ears today This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Hope this finds you well today, my friend. Thanks for tuning in once again. And our guest, Mike Barr over at mikesmototravels.com. We'll link up to that in the show notes, as well as his Instagram account. He is out on the road using his time to build his portfolio as a travel photographer and a writer. Trying to build that into a career. And he's doing it while living his nomadic lifestyle for the foreseeable future. And I asked him at the beginning, as you'll hear early on in this interview, is this a lifestyle, man? Or is this a trip? What are you on here? And over the years, hosting this podcast, I've seen many people start off with the hypothetical three month trip or one year trip that then turns into the travel lifestyle. And I've seen it happen the reverse way, too. So do you need to know if it's a lifestyle or a trip going into it? Not necessarily, but it may be helpful, may not be helpful, depending on your situation. A lot of this is situational, and that's one of the things we try to do here on the podcast is we share these individual stories, and we try to pull some of the best lessons for you to use in your own life, and I think there's a lot of food for thought here In this conversation, which we're going to get into in one second. First, just a reminder to stick around on the back end. I am going to leave you with a challenge, something that can allow you to explore a tough decision and help you get unstuck if you're feeling stuck on something. And also, somebody you can talk to anytime that can give you the push or the advice that you may need, or just some encouragement or some wisdom. And this is powerful stuff, so stick around for that in the back end. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike, and I'll see you on the other side. I would ask you if you're drinking some Herba Mate, but you're not down in Argentina yet. So- not
1: yet, not not quite yet. And I'm actually uh I'm drinking tea, which is a new addition for me.
0: Is that unusual for you?
1: Well, I <laughs> I became a coffee drinker during COVID. Um so I was a I very quickly went from like I don't know, I up until COVID I maybe had six cups of coffee in my life. And then during COVID, my little brother started making it at home and I quickly developed a two cup a day habit. (laughs) So, uh, but recently, uh, just recently, like with some stomach issues, I had to shift away from coffee to tea. So now I am drinking tea, and the hotel that I'm at didn't have honey, so I'm attempting tea and maple syrup.
0: (laughs) Ah, that might work out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How many siblings do you have?
1: I am one of four brothers.
0: Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, there's two boys.
1: There's two older and then one younger.
0: Two older, one younger. And yeah, younger. so I'm
1: the younger middle brother. Yeah. <laughs> Which is nice, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, Motorcycle Mike, I'm calling you.
1: <laughs> I've got Motorcycle Mike. Uh, Mike on a bike is a favorite.
0: Mike on a bike, yeah. I know it's not very original, but when I put you in for recording here, I said, okay, this is Motorcycle Mike because I am on with uh, Mike Barr. Mike's moto com, And while you're riding a motorcycle, you've already ridden 37,000 miles, at least when you reached out to me and I'm sure there's a few more tacked on by then. Close to, four,
1: close the- to 40 at this point.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. In the last 14 months and uh, you're on your way from Canada to the Southern tip of South America, correct?
1: At this point? Yes. Yeah. I, I started in, actually I started in New York, did, 35,000 miles around the US dipped my toes into Canada for like a week. Um, and now, yeah, right now I'm heading down to Ushuaia, Southern tip of South America.
0: Okay. Yeah. There is a traditional route, isn't there from, is it Prudhoe Bay, Alaska to Ushuaia? so,
1: So the whole Pan American highway runs from Prudhoe Bay up in like the Northern edge of Alaska all the way down to Ushuaia. Um, with the exception of about 100 miles between Panama and Colombia, the Darien Gap. The original intention was to go all the way up to Prudhoe Bay, but uh, the weather window never worked out. I had some bike issues that uh, kind of prevented that. So I I ended up just going to explore uh, British Columbia for a little bit, You know, went up to Jasper National Park, did Banff, that whole thing, and then headed south.
0: Cool. I kind of like that you didn't go up there, you know, and it's just like, I oh, would just, whatever, I'm just going to yeah. go with this.
1: <laughs> it was definitely, it was definitely one of those like go with the flow kind of things. Um, cause what happened was I, I was actually working. Um, I'd been on the road for about five months and decided I needed to make a little bit of cash. So I got a summer job in Southern California. I was, uh, I was photographing, high-end equestrian horse jumping. Oh. Um, which Yeah, yeah just but,
0: what you imagined when you yeah, set exactly.
1: out, right? Uh, it, it, something I had never done before. I mean, I've been doing photography for almost five years, and that was just, it was, uh, <laughs> I found the job on Craigslist of all places. And uh, yeah, the way that it worked out, like it was the type of job I would work two, three, four weeks at a time, and then I would have three or four weeks off um, so during one of those four week breaks in June of this year, I was like, all right, I'm going for Alaska. I'm going for it. And the plan was to ride from, uh, Orange County down in Southern California all the way up to Fruta Bay and back in four weeks. And I got as far as Seattle, Washington. And, uh, I was like, the bike is not going to make it <laughs> to Alaska. I basically needed to do like a full tune up when I was in Seattle and, uh, yeah, I just, I lost like a week of time there and the timing didn't work out. So I compromised. Yeah. Can, like on the road.
0: I am going to get some advice from you on motorcycle touring and, and all Absolutely. that stuff. Is this a, a lifestyle thing now? Or are you just, hey, I'm on the road. I'm going to pick up jobs. I'm going to see where this goes. Or are you thinking about this as a trip?
1: I would say it's a good mixture of both. And it kind of depends on how my mood is <laughs> any given day uh there's a lot of days where i'm where i'm kind of just all right got to keep moving got to keep got to keep going putting miles down um but i'm i'm more especially now since i've crossed into mexico and i'm exploring other countries i'm more willing to kind of slow down a little bit and explore a little more um stop and get a job somewhere i've always wanted to i've always wanted to do that typical travel like traveler thing where you stop and you volunteer at a hostel for couple of weeks, couple of months at a time and really get to know an area, kind of immerse yourself a little more. So, I'm not opposed to it by any means. Let's talk about magic first of all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're cuz you're I mean, you're a young guy, right? You're 26? Uh, 27. 27. Okay. I'm only putting that out there so people have a little bit of context you haven't been working in corporate america for like two decades or anything like that you had a stint and then you sounds like you decided to from based on the email you sent me kind of pursue this dream of photography and and i also want to talk about that because i think it's cool to just kind of leap in and try going after the thing you want in a in the profession that you want sounds like you're already doing it with what all the high-end equestrian shoots and everything but but <laughs> the magic is kind of where it started in a way, at least you know putting yourself online and stuff like that. It sounds like you had a youtube channel back back in the day teaching some magic, so you were obviously you were into magic enough where you were posting tutorials on youtube and and stuff like that what What did magic teach you
1: oh so the the magic thing um <laughs> yeah so i've I've been doing magic on and off since I was in. Gosh, I would say middle school. I think it was seventh grade. I went to my my parents took me to a, a like we went to a Super Bowl party that a friend of my dad's was having. And uh one of his childhood friends, the name is Ruben, he was there and just showed like showed a couple of like coin tricks. And I, I, I latched on like a lot of kids do. Um, I realized this uh because I I ended up working at a magic shop in New York City for oh. about a year and a half.
0: Okay. Probably learned a
1: lot there. I learned a lot there and I got to practice a lot there. And what I realized was most children go through a magic phase where they're like, I'm going to learn magic. And then they realize how unbelievably difficult it is <laughs> and how its practice is involved. Um, and with me, you know, I've always been the kind of person where when I get interested in something, I'm, I'm all in. I kind of dive in headfirst and obsessively... Practice all day. So magic. When I was in middle school, um, I think I speak for most people when when I say that middle school is just a rough time <laughs> in general for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for me, you know, for me it was tough because I I was a new kid in middle school. I I my family we changed school districts when I was in sixth grade.
0: So okay.
1: Yeah. I was already oh, kind that's of a tough time. Out. I was a bit of an outsider as is. Um, Trying to make friends, trying to kind of just interact. He's a bit of a weird kid too. Just kind of quiet. Didn't really like have a lot of self confidence. So, magic ended up kind of being that foot in the door, socially speaking. Um, you know, I was I was the magic kid in in middle school and high school, um, and it's been great. You know, it's it's been a way to work on my self-confidence for sure. Um, it was very good practice uh, for communicating with people in general, um, communicating communicating with all different types of people because, you know, you could perform the same trick for five, 10 different people and have to communicate it five or 10 different ways, which, you know, on the road, I guess in a way it's it's, it's definitely translated to, you know, being on the road and just kind of growing up as a whole, you know, just learning how to communicate with a bunch of different types of people. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you bring your patter on the road with you, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what they call it, don't they? Yeah, yeah, there you go. You've studied. Patter. You, you know <laughs> well, like you said, you nailed it. Everybody's been into magic at some point.
1: <laughs> a- absolutely. Especially nowadays. I mean, you know, I, when I was working at the, when I was working at the magic shop, so I, I worked at a shop named Phantasma magic, which was a, uh, it, it was one of three remaining magic shops in New York city.
0: I mean, you have to be pretty good to work at a magic shop in New York city. I'd imagine
1: you'd be surprised. <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, you know, you really, the big thing is you just need to, like I said, you need to be able to communicate with people. Um, cause you're not just, performing magic, you're, you're kind of a salesman in a way. (laughs) So, uh, every, every performance I did at that shop was a bit of a sales pitch.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Do you still practice magic on the road to connect with people?
1: You know, it's the kind of thing I, it's, it's, (laughs) I, I, I play guitar as well. And, uh, I've always described my guitar playing as the kind of thing that like, you know, I'll do it really intense, intent, you know, intently for six months, and then I'll put it down for three or four months, five months at a time. Magic, especially now that I've been on the road, uh, has kind of become that. Like I'll, i I carry a deck of cards with me everywhere I go, and you know, if I'm around, uh, I'm around the campfire and uh, just having, you know, having fun with new friends. Absolutely, absolutely, but uh, not as much as I used to
0: kind of hearing your experience in the the shop and with magic, like you said, communicating in different ways, performing tricks, and then adding the sales element in when you were working at the shop. I always find it pretty amazing at how these things that seem so sort of just, I guess they just happen as a part of your life experience, later on make you able, uh, give you maybe an ability to connect with people in a different way and maybe enhance your travels in, in a way because you are able to open conversations, and you have, yeah, everybody has their own life experiences to draw on, of course. And I, I'm just always fascinated by how those experiences play in later in life in unexpected ways.
1: Absolutely, and just and really, just that i that communication aspect is is so important because I feel like just part of you know growing up and getting older is figuring out how to communicate better, um, you know, just, and just learning how to learning how to make friends with perfect strangers. Um, you know, making friends, making friends as an an adult is hard enough as is, um, you know, especially when you're, especially when you put yourself in a situation where you're out on the road traveling by yourself, you know, you don't have any, you don't have any friends to really fall back on when you're out here. So you kind of have to make friends as you go. And, um, when I, when I was growing up, I'll, I'll never forget it. My dad and I, uh, I have a very close relationship with my father, and uh, we always used to go to the diner. You know, being from New York, like our big thing is diners. It's the one big thing that I miss from being out east. You're from, you're from Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. Yeah, you get it. Like Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, every town has like the one 24-hour diner. It's awesome. And there's, there's nothing better than going, <laughs> going to a diner at 11 mm-hmm. o'clock and, you know, having pancakes, cup of yeah. coffee but uh meaning,
0: meaning like an angry waitress who's sort of mean to you but in a nice way it's the best exactly so <laughs>
1: my, my dad call my, me
0: sadomasochistic but you know no. my
1: my my dad has always been the person who like he's the one who's going to make friends with that waitress who's out yeah, of me, the but salt treating me nice. yeah and i remember we you know we i i must have been like 15 or 16 at the time we went to the we went to the diner and you know, he had a, he had a five minute conversation with the waitress before she took her order. And then she walked away and I was like, how do you do that? <laughs> like, how do you just, how do you make friends with anyone? Cause he's, I, I noticed it. I've noticed it my whole life. And he said, he was like, strangers are just friends you haven't made yet. <laughs> I love so just that. start asking questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've taken that with me ever since.
0: That's a great, Expression. And a a great way to approach your travels, I would say. Have you done anything, not like anything like this, because I know you haven't done anything quite like this ambitious in your travels before, because this is a huge trip you're on, but have you traveled on your own before in this way?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't, my family never traveled a lot when I was young. Um, just virtue of there being four children and, uh, my parents working, you know, not high end jobs, uh, so we we never traveled a lot when I was a kid. But I did take a I took a six week road trip around the U.S. right out of college. Um, yeah i I had my graduation ceremony, so I graduated in May of 2017. Um, had my graduation on like a Friday. <laughs> And then the next Thursday I got in my Jeep. I said, all right, I'll see everybody in two months. And yeah, I, I, I did it on your own. Th- yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I built a little sleeping platform in the back of my Jeep. Um, it was kind of like my early attempt at van life, so to speak, but in a, but in a Jeep Cherokee with 200,000 miles on it. Um, yeah. And I, I, I did a 9,000 mile trip around the U S
0: how was, was, was that experience?
1: Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was you know, once I got west of Dallas, Texas. Um I have a my oldest brother he he lives down in Dallas, so like that was the furthest west I had been at that point. Once I got west of Dallas, Texas, I remember looking at I think it's I think it's I-40 that runs through Dallas. I remember looking ahead on the road and just being like this is all new material. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally new.
0: Yeah, that's a great <laughs> feeling.
1: feeling. Yeah it's incredible. It's, it's, I think it's one of the best parts of traveling It's just, you know, kind of new canvas. Let's, let's, let's paint this new picture. Um, but yeah, no, that, that trip was great. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I did a big, I mean, I did a big loop. I, I, I drove down the, you know, I drove down, I actually went through Philadelphia on that trip. Um, I went through Philly. I ended up See, now you got me trying, now, now you got me remembering, trying to remember the route that I took. I remember I drove down to Washington, DC, cut down to Dallas and then like ran to the coast, up the coast and back. Um, and that trip was, that trip was great. Um, it was much less open ended than I would have liked. Um, you know, I, I only had about, I think that trip, I only had about $2,500 <laughs> to work with, um, and again, I was driving a Jeep from the 90s, so gas was expensive. <laughs> and uh, and I also had to just like, I, I, I had a job waiting for me when I got back to New York. Um, that was kind of being held for me. So, you know, that trip was great, but especially as, especially as an introduction to traveling, it, it's kind of what, it's kind of like how I got bit by the travel bug in general, because uh, I remember I... So I did this whole trip. I came back and I kind of dove right into corporate America. Um, Just this little office nine to five job. And I remember very quickly, it it couldn't have been a month and a half before I was sitting at my desk just being like, really love to be uh, back on the road right now. (laughs) And uh, that's kind of when the gears started slowly turning to the next big walkabout, so to speak.
0: No pun intended. I guess the gears comment was the mentality then with the job waiting and everything was like, okay, I have this block of time. I'm just going to kind of have this adventure and then I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do and get a job and kind of settle in that way. Or were you already sort of questioning the, the thing that was waiting on the other side of the trip (laughs) before you even came back? What was your mentality then?
1: I mean, my, my mentality back then was I needed to start making a little bit of cash. You know, my student loans were going to, my student loan payments were going to start soon.
0: They're not going anywhere, right?
1: (laughs) They ain't going anywhere. anywhere. Um, especially right now. (laughs) Um, I was also at the time I was, I was dating a girl that I had started dating my, my senior year of college and, you know, she, she was a sweetheart, but, um, I've realized I'm, I'm not great at long distance relationships, (laughs) just never been good at them. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, there was part of that where I was just like, I got to get back cause I want to see her and, you know, start working and then figure it out from there. Just kind of figure out what the next step is after that. Um,
0: can I ask you how much student debt you were working with here at this time?
1: When I graduated, it was about 28,000, Yeah, which in the grand scheme of things isn't a lot. Well, because <laughs> a lot of other people,
0: a lot of people have the question of, should I travel with debt? Should I not travel with debt? Should I kind of get my financial house in order, so to speak? I guess it didn't stop you.
1: (laughs) So that's, it's, you know, it's, it's something that I have, it's something that I've really struggled with, especially, you know, in the lead up to leaving on this trip. Um, Because when I left on this trip, I had enough money in the bank to pay off the remainder of my student loans in one lump sum and then have like a little bit left over. But, you know, that would have, that would have restarted the clock of needing to slave away at the, the nine to five job that was ruining my life um, for another three or four years. Uh, this trip, you know, this trip in general, this I mean, this was four years in the making before I left.
0: We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by US Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. So when you when you came back from the first trip, you went into this job. Was it the same job that you yeah kept the whole time? And that was a job in real estate, right? In New yeah. York? So I
1: was I was a commercial real estate property manager. <laughs> yeah. So okay. I, yeah. I was. I was. That's the, busy. I, it was. De- it was definitely decently busy. Um. The company that I worked for, it was based out of Connecticut. And it was actually, you know, it's funny. It was it was a job that I never thought I would end up doing. I never considered going into real estate. Um, I actually went to school for geology. <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's the reaction a lot of people get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got this job through a just weird set of circumstances where like an alumni from my geology department was the environmental compliance manager at this real estate company. And she had reached out to the head of my, ge- my geology department when I was a junior in college. And uh, just saying like I, she needed an intern just to kind of help organize some papers and you know get organized on some projects. And you know, uh, summer was coming up at that time. The, the head of my geology department was my thesis advisor. And he was like, hey, this is 20 minutes away from your house, why don't you take a look into this? And, uh, and I was like, all right, sure. That sounds interesting. And then I saw that it paid $20 an hour and I was like, absolutely. This sounds like a great way to spend a summer. (laughs) So, uh, I did that the summer from junior into senior year. And then once I graduated college, they were like, Hey, you want a job? We'll pay you, (laughs) we'll we'll pay you $60,000 a year. I was like, that sounds great at 21 years old. Um so I uh that's kind of how I ended up in that in that corporate 9 to 5 position. Um and it was yeah, I I the really the only reason that I stuck with it for so long was because I was able to save as much money as I was. Um but to get back to the to get back to the original question of like should people travel with debt? I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> I had debt. And I think, I think I'm like most millennials in the sense that we just kind of accept that that student debt is here and it is going to get paid off eventually, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, so
0: personal choice. It's definitely,
1: definitely. I, I also had my, my oldest brother, the one who lives in Texas, he is a financial advisor. So, so he, he certainly had some, uh, he certainly had some choice words. He was like, "You can buy a house. You could pay off your student loans. You could." Well, yourself... okay.
0: I mean, how do you? How did you push back against that? Because that's something that people get, and sometimes if you get it from enough places, from enough people that are close to you, it can start to make you doubt your decisions.
1: Absolutely, I, I will give this disclaimer. He has actually been a vet, he. He has been way way more supportive about this trip that I'm taking than I, than I anticipated. Um, he's actually, he's been very, very kind about it and he's been very, you know, open with the fact that he's proud of me for chasing my dreams. And, you know, I set a goal, I worked towards it, I sacrificed and I executed.
0: Um, by that you're talking about the process of, of working, saving the money. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
1: Um, because that's, I mean, for four years, that was all that was on my mind.
0: Well, now, I mean, it, there are probably people listening right now in the same situation where they're, you know, they want to take off and do the thing. So what advice do you have for them?
1: Um, Do it. <laughs> do it. Uh, that's that's the short answer. The long answer is really, I I realized very early, I, I shouldn't say very early, but now we're getting back into the, really the roots, like the deeper roots, like I'm talking sophomore year of college. So really this trip goes back to my sophomore year of college when I got really into rock climbing, which is, it sounds strange, but there's a, there's a, there's an ending there. So when I was a sophomore in college, I, I got a job as a, an RA in a freshman building on campus. And, uh, as an RA uh, we got to pick our course load before anybody else in the school because we had like schedules to work around. And we had a class at at my college uh, called Introduction to Rock Climbing. And I've always been fascinated. So I was like, sign up immediately. And uh, like I said before, when I get interested in something, dive into the deep end head first. So I was just voraciously consuming <laughs> content. And there's a movie that came out in I want to say 2015 called Valley Uprising, which it's, it's, it's a phenomenal movie. It's, it's about the development of rock climbing in the U S out of Yosemite Valley. And in the movie, a, the movie really highlights the kind of vagabondish nature of climbing as a sport. You know, the, yeah. it's kind of the, the
0: subculture couch. of, uh, this whole culture of
1: people. Yeah. yeah. This whole culture of people who just kind of like skirt the status quo and, live it, live a life of intent and a life of they live life on their terms. And I remember there's a, there's a character in the movie. His name is uh, Charles Tucker or Chongo Chuck. And uh, he, he has this little monologue towards the end of the movie. And he's, he's talking about how you should be spending your youth. And he basically says, you know, you should be spending your youth doing the things that older people wish they could do um while well, you still have the time to do it because that's what life is about it's about living it and i remember that specific piece of it that's what life is about it's about living it really just flipped a switch in my brain and i realized that you know we only we only got one one go around mm-hmm. you know depending on your beliefs <laughs> we've only got one go around and i i want to live a life that I am proud of when I'm older, like when I'm 50, 60, 70 in my twilight years, I wanna be able to look back and be proud of what I did when I was younger. And when it comes to the financial aspect of things, you know, setting out on the road with $20,000 in debt, I'm gonna be much prouder when I'm older about taking this trip than I will be about paying off my student loans or paying off my debts, you know? And again, like that's not to say Take out five credit cards and max them all out while you're traveling. But you know, if you have, if you have some student loans and, you know, a little bit of credit card debt here and there, I, I I still think it is very easy to get out on the road and travel and have this grand adventure. Um, you know, money comes and goes.
0: That's a great realization to have when you're in the midst of your 20s, right? You don't want to have that realization when you're 45.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Part of of that also came from, you know, I love my parents to death. I, they're, you know, they're both, they're both incredible, but I grew up seeing the effects of a life lived, not pursuing what you wanted to actually do. You know, my, my, my dad, he is a phenomenal musician, right? Um, one of the best guitar players I've ever heard he He recorded a an album in our living room like on eight track tapes when I was you know three years old and it's some of the most beautiful music i've ever heard and he had all of the all of the capability of being a a famous musician but he didn't pursue he didn't pursue that because he was he was afraid he was afraid of going after what he going after his dreams and he was afraid of failing at those dreams and I remember when I was going, you know, right around the start of this trip, I was going through that early twenties period of realizing that, you know, your parents are just, they're not the superheroes that you think they are when you're, when you're a child. And, uh, I remember coming to that realization where I was like, you know, I don't want to be in the same place when I'm in my fifties of looking back and regretting not going after what I wanted. Um, and I was very lucky to have two parents that were very supportive of that. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Of course it's never too late to go do any of these things you want to do. As you can hear from the hundreds of guests I've had on this show and you know, these, these, uh, these big life changes for travel happen at all ages. And that's a beautiful thing. And you know, it's nice for you knowing that you wanted that right away. And I guess my point is and not, you know, putting it off for a decade or two because life circumstance can make things a little more difficult. And it's, it, it can be easier for people when they're younger and mm-hmm. don't have the responsibilities. Uh, yes, I, I
1: fully recognize that like not having a family of my own and a career that I'm worried about makes this a whole lot easier.
0: Yeah. You know, that's where you are in life right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that's your, your, it's just like you
1: said, you know, circumstances can change so fast. So those circumstances can change when I'm done, when I'm done traveling as well.
0: Sure. Absolutely. But taking the long view of, Hey, what do I want to look back on and what I want to be able to say that I did or, or to have experienced and not have any regrets about it's always at any age, that's always a way to go. Right. You could just, you know, you fast forward in your mind I mean, luckily the human mind is able to time travel, right? We Seriously. can put ourselves into those I don't know later stages lo- and I
1: don't think know if it's lucky all the time, but yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. I mean, we can have those thought experiments and and come to conclusions and get answers just by projecting ourselves into different eras of our lives. I think it's a really cool, powerful thing to do. So the The idea here is, well, part of this, and then I do want to get some, I'm sure you've learned a ton about motorcycle touring. So I want to get into some of the do's and don'ts and mistakes and advice and all that. But it sounds like a part of this too is not just, it's not the pursuit, just the pursuit of travel, but you're also your interest in building your portfolio as a travel photographer and a writer and I guess I just wanted to hear a little bit more about the career aspect, I guess, or the creative aspect of this that you've incorporated in into the trip, not just, hey, I want to have this experience, but also I'm really interested in these things and I want to I want to build something here, or at least give it a go so I don't have any regrets around that. Yeah, just your thoughts around that and, and kind of what you're doing and how it's been going for you.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, You know, it, I think just like any other, <laughs> just like any other self-run business, it can always go a little better. No, it's it, it's been great. You know, I I found photography a little later, a um, little later on, kind of like you mentioned at the start. I've always been fascinated with uh, YouTube. Um, I started, you know, I, I remember being in sixth. I was in sixth grade when YouTube came out. So 2000, 2006, like when it really started getting popular. I remember where I was when I first heard about it. I was in a music lab in Fox Lane Middle School and my friends were like, "Hey, come watch this." And I came over and there was just like a video. It was one of those early YouTube videos. And I was like, "Wow, this is fascinating." So, I uh I I was fascinated for a while with uh making videos. You know, so I made a couple of magic videos. I made a couple of, you know, magic tutorials on YouTube and that that was something that you know, kind of wavered and came into my life, left my life over the course of, you know, 10, 15 years. And then uh, when I started working at this job, you know, that corporate job, um, that was around the same time that I started working at the magic shop in New York City. So the, the New York City job was kind of a, a weekend gig to put a little more a little more money away into my savings. And I remember it was, it was tax return time and I had this little chunk of change and I was like let's let's give vlogging a shot let's, let's try that again so I bought I bought a I think it was like a Sony a5100 and uh and a GoPro and I was like we're gonna we're gonna we're really gonna dig into this whole YouTube thing and uh I bought the camera and you yeah, know I made a couple of videos that was around the time I started playing with the photography aspect of it and I realized very quickly that I got more satisfaction out of taking and editing a good photograph than I did a video, so I, I kind of shucked the the video aspect of it, and really started diving deep into the photography. And I, I realized very quickly that I, I liked the the fundamental aspect of photography that you are capturing a singular moment in time, rather than you know a whole. 10 minute YouTube video with a bunch of sound effects and uh, that kind of stuff. I, I liked the simplicity of it. And that's when I started thinking like, all right, maybe, maybe this is something you could, you could make a career in. And I, I started looking into it and cause I knew I never wanted to do the whole, I never wanted to be a wedding photographer. You know, I never wanted to be a corporate headshot photographer. Um, And that's when I, that's when I found the work of like guys like Jimmy Chin, um, you know, uh, Dean, Dean Feidelman, who was another great climbing photographer. Um, and just all of these, all of these outdoor photographers going on these crazy adventures, taking photos in beautiful places. And I was like, that, that sounds like something that I would really, really enjoy. Um, so And that's, you know, that's, that's when I started making a little bit of money, money from it here and there, just doing like these little side gig kind of things. Um, And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was kind of the root of it. And I figured I was going out on this grand, you know, I was going out on this adventure, this round the world trip. I was going to be in a lot of really cool places as is. So it it was kind of just a sum of all of the circumstances (laughs) coming together all right, I love taking photos. I love traveling, put them together and we'll figure it out, (laughs) figure it out on the way. Sure. I mean, I Um, think it's
0: great to be able to give yourself permission to dive into something and enter a world that, you know, you mentioned some of these other names and sometimes it's easy to look at names and people's body of work and think, well, you know, that's just reserved for special people. I'm using air quotes there or you can kind of take the tact of well hey they're just people and if i just give myself permission to enter that world i can do that and i can i can work on it as a craft i can get into that industry you never know what level things will work or what direction things will go but i mean i think i do think it starts there it starts with allowing yourself giving yourself permission to say i can i can be a part of this too that's a a mental leap more than it is a physical
1: one. Absolutely, absolutely, and the the mental leap. I think for most people, your mind is your mind is your own worst enemy. <laughs> I think for we're sure. a lot. <laughs> I think human beings in general, we're much better at talking ourselves out of things into talking ourselves into things. <laughs> I think once you learn to. You know, I think we we all stick to this. Oh, what if what if something goes wrong? Well, what if something goes right? <laughs> what if I meet the right person? What if I network my way into a perfect opportunity? You know, you know, I, I've taken I've taken you know thousands of photos over the last year. All it takes is for one person to see one really good one that they like, and it, it opens all sorts of doors.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, well, so you wouldn't have that thousands of photos of experience if you were. exactly exactly so... and. And and joy, really, what it comes down to—the joy of the process—and
1: absolutely, falling in love with the process is part of it. Yeah, you know, I learned that from. I learned that from, uh, from jujitsu. You know, I've been doing jujitsu for almost ten years, and you know, I think anyone who's done martial arts knows that it's it's not always the easiest thing to do. It's not always the most fun thing. Getting to do,
0: pounded you... in the face isn't easy, or whatever, thrown yeah, to the mat, getting... or whatever you do there.
1: Exactly. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you got to, you got to fall in love with the process and you got to fall in love with struggle just a little bit, which I don't think we, I don't think people do enough of. I think struggle is a really, I think it's a really powerful motivator if, if you allow it to be.
0: Do you think people don't do enough of that?
1: I don't think they, I don't think they allow them. I don't think they embrace it enough. I think a lot of people get scared of struggle. Yeah
0: well, this is unique because you mentioned being a millennial and there are, well, you see this on the internet and whatever individuals believe or how many, who knows, but people have make sweeping generalizations about generations of people, (laughs) which is kind of funny because you're talking about a whole wide swath of individuals. (laughs) And you're just going to be like, those millennials are like this, or those people are like that, those Gen Xers, whatever. I mean... Yeah, speaking. Uh, I'm not going to make you speak for all millennials, but I guess I am. Isn't that one of the criticisms that uh, people like can't handle the struggle or something like that? I think that's BS. But
1: that's a hard question. That, that is a that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. In in my experience, you know, I find uh, just even with even with people who I'm friends with in general, I think people shy away from the difficult path more often than not to take the easier, you know, not as fulfilling path just for the sake of it being a little easier. Ah, It's a tough one. You got me thinking now. You got me thinking. I don't know. I've never
0: been a fan of sweeping generalizations and labels and ideas that may be uh, counterintuitive to what you feel for yourself as an individual. And, and, you know, it can be dangerous to listen to that noise. I feel.
1: No, I totally get it. I totally get that. I think a better way to to get my message across would be to just say, struggling in general is not a bad thing. You know, I I was thinking about this the other day. I had my first crash while I was on the road the other day. Like I, I oh, crashed, damn. crash, crash. Yeah. I, How uh, fast were you going? I was going about 35 miles an hour. Oh, whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah I... uh I
0: is that inevitable in motorcycle touring?
1: Absolutely. hundred percent.
0: Really? Okay. So, you know, yeah. you're going to crash at some point.
1: There's a, there's a, a saying, there's a saying in the motorcycle community. It's, it's not a case. It's not, there's two types of people, people who have gone down and people who are going to go down. Eventually. Oh gosh. Um, okay.
0: That's yeah. why you have the full leather and all the. Ideally,
1: <laughs> ideally, ideally in um, this case, <laughs> you know? Um, so the day that I left New York, Right. So I, I, I left on this trip, September 10th, 2021. I left and I went straight up to the Adirondacks for a, for a wedding. I two of my best friends from college were getting married and I left the wedding that following Monday. And I kind of considered that like the official quote unquote day one of like being out on the road. Cause I was actually like going out into the world. I left, I left my friend's house in, lake george i i drove up to lake placid i was on the road for five hours six hours and i get a phone call from my mother being like hey he's fine your dad got into a motorcycle crash and like a serious one that was di- that was day one really and uh yeah he he got he got clipped by a by a driver on the highway. And he, he went down at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. You know, broke his leg, broke his hand, had road rash everywhere, but, uh, you know, he's fine now. Thank goodness. Um, but it was, that's a scary phone call to get when you're, when you're leaving on this round the world motorcycle trip. And all of a sudden, like your, your, your father who got you into motorcycling goes down. Like that's, that's a scary one that's that's a spooky one for sure and he was i mean he was great like i i i spoke to him when he was in the hospital and i was like do do i need to get on a plane like do i need to come down there and uh he was like nope you're gonna get on your bike tomorrow and keep doing what you're doing
0: He was like and, no you're uh, gonna go trade that bike in buy a nice <laughs> four-wheel oh, drive <laughs> no it
1: was quite the opposite yeah quite the opposite. um
0: well that's true love there
1: oh absolutely absolutely my da- Dad, dad's been one of my biggest supporters this, this whole time. He's like, so proud of you. Go do, go, go do what you're doing. Proud of what you're doing. Um,
0: so when you had your uh, crash, how was that experience? What had happened was I was
1: going down, I was, I was heading down towards the coast here in Mexico and I, I pulled off the road just to check my GPS to see where I was going. And then I pulled back onto the road and there was these two kids on the side of the road waving. And I don't know if they were waving at me or if they were waving at like the bus that was behind me but i glanced over at them and i didn't see just i guess there was a truck that was pulled over a couple hundred yards up the road i guess he must have lost his like oil drain pan or blown his engine because there was oil all over the road and i i hit the oil slick at 35 and i just lost the rear tire went down took a little took a little tumble and uh popped right back up to my feet ran off the side of the road i was like i did the whole like Yeah, everything's good nothing hurts patting yourself uh, down like an yeah just being like my okay (laughs) yeah Um, but uh but yeah that was I mean that and the thank god like everything everything worked out fine the bike was fine the handlebars were bent at a 90 degree angle so that was really the only thing I had to repair um but yeah I mean I I called my dad immediately I was like hey how's everything going he's like I'm good how are you doing I was like I'm fine um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't mean to spook you. I just had a crash and uh his I mean the first thing he said was like after he knew I was okay he was like you're going to pick the bike up and you're going to keep going. Um but uh yeah, so it, crashes happen. Crashes happen, you know, some of them unfortunately some of them are way worse than others, but it's just uh it's kind of one of those things ex- that you accept when you when you ride a motorcycle. I think uh I think the statistic is It's 35, you're 35 times more likely to get into an accident on a motorcycle than getting into a car. It's kind of inevitable, unfortunately. I'm just glad that the, I'm just glad the one I've had, the one that I've had worked out well.
0: <laughs> so is this the 2008 Suzuki V Storm 1000? Is this the your
1: V-Strom, the V Storm 1000?
0: Yes, V Storm 1000. Okay, all right. Well, give us. Let's just do a little motorcycle what, long distance travel 101. one. What's the proper term for this? Motorcycle touring. Is that motorcycle like, touring? I would say so... motorcycle touring. Okay, so well, let's start with who is it? Who is this? Maybe. Right for like why is this a a way of travel that people should consider
1: i think it is it is the kind of thing that anybody can do and i say that i i know we don't like sweeping generalizations but i have examples to back that up (laughs) um i have met i have met a lot of people who you would never expect to go on journeys like this um there's you know just Just last week, I mean, I I was in San Luis Potosí down here in Mexico, and I pull into a hostel, and I walk inside hoping that there would be, like, space for me to park at the hostel, and there's two motorcycles (laughs) in the lobby. (laughs) Um, And one of them belonged to a girl named Bridget. The other belonged to a girl named Kiva. These two young girls, like, I think Bridget's 21, Kiva, I think she's 21 or 22, they're doing their own round-the-world ride. Like, you know, they left Wisconsin a couple weeks ago, you know, Bridget left a few months ago, Kiva a few weeks ago, and they're, you know, they're headed down to Ushuaia right now. Like they're ahead of me just a little bit. So, uh, there's one example. I, I met a guy whose name is Dave Barr. No relations. Um, I found, I found Dave Barr on a Wikipedia page of long distance motorcycle riders. And, uh, Dave Barr did a three year round the world trip back in the nineties on two prosthetic legs. Like he had both of his legs. Like he he was blown up in a landmine explosion in South Africa back in the eighties. And uh, yeah, he, he did the whole trip. He did the whole round the world trip on two pros- prosthetics. He rode across Russia and Siberia in the winter on two prosthetics. The guy, the guy is just like a, a, a certified madman. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think motorcycle travel is, it's, it's for anyone if you're willing to accept the risks, so to speak.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking at Dave's Wikipedia now, the yeah. best known for being the first double amputee to circumnavigate the globe.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I had lunch with Dave during shortly before I shortly before I left New York. Actually, I had flown out to I had flown out to California to see my dad, and uh, I had found Dave's Wikipedia page two weeks before that and i kind of cold called him to a certain extent i shot him an email on his website just i was like hey i'm gonna be in california like he lives in bodfish california which is tucked up in the it's this little tiny town tucked up in the mountains east of bakersfield um you kind of have to like you'll never end up there you kind of have to go there (laughs) um and i just even i i shot him an email i was like hey dave you know i'm planning this round the world trip i'm gonna be in california would would love to buy you lunch kind of pick your brain a little bit and." Not expecting anything, and he shot. Me. He res- he responded twenty minutes later. He was like, "Absolutely, let's set something up." So I had yeah. I had lunch with him for two and a half hours, just talking about talking about travel. <laughs> so super cool. Yeah, he is a uh, he's a character for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you never know who you're going to meet when you set off on on something like this. And oh my
1: goodness, that that is that uh <laughs> that is a lesson I relearn every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. So, as far as the motorcycle, of course, the sky is probably the limit like anything else when it comes to buying gear and things like that. But assuming you want to kind of do this in a smart way, you don't have unlimited funds, I'd love to hear your advice on what motorcycles to buy, or maybe not even specific ones, but just, you know, what people can expect to spend, maybe a couple of resources, whatever you want to share yeah, here. Absolutely. And we can get into like budgeting and, and kind of like the totally. travel style.
1: Absolutely. Um, so in terms of the bike to use, yeah, I, there's a part of me that wants to say you can do it on any bike that you want to, you know, they they're Dave, Dave Barr. He did his on like a, on a, 1990s Harley Shellhead, which is just like it is a wildly uncomfortable, <laughs> unreliable machine. <laughs> but you know, you, you know, you make it work. Um, there was a there was a guy on YouTube I was following for a while. He did the Pan American Highway on a Honda Ruckus, which is like a 50cc scooter. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, what you're going to look for is you're going to look for the uh, kind of the adventure bike. That's what they call them. Um, You know, KTM makes a bunch of really, really good ones. BMW is kind of like, you know, you see, you know, you see the BMW R1200 series all over on the road. But the big thing is finding a bike that is comfortable for you, right? There's, there's no kind of one size fits all. So I, before I had this bike, I had two other bikes, which were more kind of like the cruiser Harley Davidson style. They weren't Harleys. Um, one was a Honda. one was a Yamaha. Um, but when I was looking for this, I knew I was going to need something that, you know, you want to sit a little more upright. You you don't want to be leaning back like you do on a Harley and you don't want to be leaning forward. Like you do on a sports bike, like a crotch rocket that you see doing a hundred miles an hour down the highway. You want something that you can kind of just sit in because you're going to be sitting in that seat for just, eight hours a day. Sometimes I found my bike at a, just a, a a dealership near where I was living in New York, took it out for a test ride and I liked how it felt. And that was kind of it. How much do
0: you expect Um, to pay for a moderately priced something solid? Good. Depends if you're buying
1: new or used, you know, I paid about, I think I paid about five grand five thousand for mine, which, you know, not, not terrible. Um, I, I overpaid a little bit, you know, you could find my exact bike a little cheaper for like the 3,500 range. So not terribly expensive.
0: That's pretty Uh, cheap. I would say.
1: Yeah. It's compared to, compared to a lot of like vans and cars that like,
0: Oh uh, yeah. Oh my God.
1: You know, um, the maintenance is generally cheaper. And the big thing, the big thing that I do recommend is finding a bike that you can work on yourself. Even if you have to learn how to work on motorcycles, (laughs) Uh, I've gotten to the point where I can fix most issues that I run into on the bike. There's a few things that I won't touch. Like um, just like when it comes to like actual bearings themselves, like that's the kind of stuff that I, that I will give to a uh, a mechanic, but if it comes down to just the regular every everyday maintenance, like oil changes and changing out your changes, changing out like chain and sprocket sets, like that kind of stuff you know, bikes in general, they're, they're a lot easier to work on. They're much more user friendly. Um, especially if you buy a bike older than a couple of years, you know, I would go like 2000, 2010, you know, 2012, you know, um, a lot of the bikes that are coming out now have a lot of electronics that tend to pose problems. You know, I've got, ai have got another friend, his, his name is also Mike and he travels on a motorcycle in the States. And uh, like, he's got a digital dashboard that hasn't worked for, I don't know, 10, 15,000 miles, doesn't have a speedometer that works, (laughs) like, you know, um, yeah, so find like, so I would say find a bike that you're comfortable, comfortable sitting on. So, you know, that means going to a dealership, even if you find like, let's say you find a bike on Facebook marketplace that you want to, or Craigslist that you want to buy, go to a dealership that has the same bike, take it out for a test drive. Take it out for an afternoon see like see how cozy it is um I would also say you know you don't have to you don't have to break your budget you can very easily spend fifteen twenty thousand dollars on a on a high end b m w adventure bike or a or even like the newest model of the bike that I have is about twelve fourteen fifteen thousand dollars, you know so you don't have to break your budget, find a bike that's cozy for you and find a bike that can handle the weight of everything that you were going to carry. That's important too. Right? So I, I carry about, I think I've paired all of my worldly belongings down to 150 liters, 200 liters of space. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So what, big... what
0: were your favorite resources for planning this type of trip? Do you have some go-to
1: resources in terms of yeah,
0: just online resources? Was there any sort of go-to place where you Facebook Marketplace? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not just the motorcycle, but just this style of travel yeah. in general.
1: Um, that, that's kind of the funny thing. Like I, I didn't really, it's one of the few examples of things that like, I didn't really study for like the best resources that I had were, getting out getting out and just putting miles down you know? <laughs> right i seriously like i getting mean out on,
0: that's an incredible resource <laughs> yeah just good world experience
1: you know i yeah. i bought this bike so i bought my first bike october of 2017 right so it was right after i started working that job uh it was the first time in my life i had like disposable income <laughs> so i was like it's part it's part of the reason I bought the bike in general. I, I found a really good deal on a on a Honda Shadow 750. And uh I think I paid like 1300 bucks for it. And I it was, it was October in New York and I was riding as much as I could before having to put it away for the winter. But once like the once the spring came around, I was putting miles down as often as possible. Like even like going out for 2 hours after work, taking rides. Um so I had that bike for, I had that bike for about a year. I had, my dad actually gave me his old Yamaha um, right around that time because like the first bike I bought at a 750cc engine, which was good, but I, you know, I'm a bigger guy. So I needed something with a little more power. So he gave me his, which was a, an 1100. And then I traded both of those in for the V-Strom in early 20. 20- 19. So it would have been, yeah, I think I bought it January 3rd of 2019. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was taking that thing on long, long days, uh, as soon as I could. I mean, I, the first trip I took on that was, I went up to West Quaddyhead, Maine, which is like, it's the furthest Eastern point in the contiguous U S that was, uh, that was like a 1700 mile weekend, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I, Part of it is just getting out on miles and, you know, I think I watched a couple of videos on YouTube on how to like camp off of a motorcycle just to kind of get an idea of it. But part of it is figuring out your own system, what works for you.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about your sort of your overall budget for this trip and where you sleep and and how all that plays in and, and just some of the essentials and sort of like the, yeah, the practical logistical stuff.
1: Yeah. So in that first year on the road, when i was in the states i would say 80% of those nights were camping
0: <laughs> okay yeah so it's mostly yeah. camping
1: mostly camping um and sometimes camping in some pretty interesting places i've slept at more than one highway rest stop <laughs> i've slept behind more than one walmart mm-hmm. um this is free
0: camping mostly Yeah. Or, yeah
1: yeah just free camping um freecampsites.net is a website I used a lot in the States uh, which was awesome. Um, you know, so generally what I would do is I would, I, you know, I wake up, I would pack up camp for the night before, I would go out and ride for, you know, five, six hours. And then right around mid afternoon, I'd start looking, being like, all right, where am I going to stay tonight? And uh, I would either look on FreeCampsites.net to see if there was any pins where I was. Um, There's a great website in the States called, uh, I shouldn't even say in the States, there's a great website called bunk, a biker, and it's, it's couch surfer for motorcycle riders. Um, I've stayed with a bunch of really great hosts, uh, through there. Um, and I would say like the only times that I would ever really splurge for a a hotel room or a motel room were when the weather conditions really turned and I couldn't find a, I couldn't find anyone to house me for the evening. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, and now are now that
1: you're. So Mexico has been a little tougher, man. Uh, it's, I guess from what I've heard just from locals down here, camping in general, it's, it's not something that culturally speaking, I, my understanding is it's not something that a lot of people from Mexico do. Like there's campsites in Mexico, but I, from what I'm gathering through my remedial Spanish is that they're for the, uh, they're more for the tourists. So, I mean, I've I've wild camped a couple of nights here, um, but established campgrounds down here are, are so affordable that it's easy to, you know, you, you pay five bucks for a night to sleep. Um, or, you know, I, you, even like a hotel, even hotels down here is, they're so affordable that it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to justify sleeping outside when a hotel room is 10 bucks a night.
0: <laughs> do you have a per day budget or do you have just like a number for the whole Rough- trip?
1: rough monthly budget kind of what is it it's about a thousand dollars a month
0: yeah okay
1: everything yeah That's... food accommodations and
0: you're pretty semi-diligent on it kind of
1: semi for sure you know yeah. some some months it's a little more you know fight fight crash a motorcycle and need to have it repaired <laughs>
0: and do you have a drop deadline where it's like okay if i haven't figured out this photography thing by then or if there's no money coming, I'm gonna have to sell my bike and <laughs> hitchhike home or something.
1: I wouldn't call it a drop deadline. I mean, I I gave my older brother some money to hold on to for me.
0: Yeah. Like okay. just kind of, like, like don't let I me touch it. this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I you know, I was like, put it in a safe, put it in the stock market, do whatever you want to do with it. Just it, I, I called it my rebuild my life fund. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean,
0: that's a good piece of practical advice. Have a rebuild your life
1: fund. Yeah. It, and it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. It was, you know, it was a couple thousand dollars, but it was, it was enough to where like I could go back to the States, buy a beater used car and maybe like put down a month's security deposit on, an apart, on a part on like on a place somewhere. So I've always had that in the back. I've always had that kind of to sit back on, but I'm, I'm slowly approaching uh, the, the halfway mark all of the money that i have saved over the last four years which was uh that was spooky I'd well i mean up,
0: but you're also halfway to your destination so <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of kind of i mean well so you're like, getting right
0: into now, a, an affordable area of the world so.
1: definitely absolutely absolutely um motorcycle touring doesn't have to be a round the world journey you know I, I i've met a ton of people just on the road that you know took off for a month, two months at a time, just like, you know, kind of put in, leave at work. And they were like, all right, I'll see everybody in two months and just kind of toured the States. Um, there's some really wild, there's some really wild people in the States uh, who just ride long distances for the fun of it. You know, there was a, there was a guy last year in the States, his name was Chris Hopper. He did a uh, hundred thousand miles in a hundred days. <laughs> on his, on his Harley Davidson. So a thousand miles a day for a hundred days straight, which has got
0: to be sore after
1: that. So (laughs) so there's a, there's a, there's a website called the iron butt association (laughs) and they do all sorts of these like challenges. Um, the main one is the bun burner or I think it's like the bun burner 1000. And it's like, uh, it's a thousand miles in 24 hours, which I've done. Um, and, uh, but they get so much crazier than that. I mean, there's, there's the coast to coast 50, which is like coast to coast in 50 hours or less. Like it, there's some, there's some really wild motorcycle riders out there, but yeah. So motorcycle tra- you know, motorcycle touring doesn't have to be this long-term lifestyle change. You know, you can just go on it just go on an adventure for a week, two, two weeks, a month at a time, whatever works for you. And I think, uh, I think budgeting, for those is much easier. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Mm. Ironbutt.org, by the way. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> right? <laughs> it sounds it sounds like it sounds like a it sounds like a, a workout website of some type. Two
0: words I had no idea I was gonna say together today. Right. Iron right. butt.
1: I I no. I
0: wow. It's, you <laughs> never know when you wake up and you start podcasting what's gonna never, come out. Never. <laughs> never, never. Yeah it's been fun kind of learning more about your story and just getting some advice around this. I do want to ask you what you've learned so far, what this trip has taught you about anything so far. I'll leave it open.
1: The world is nowhere near as scary as we make it out to be. Um, That was something that I got a lot when I was getting ready, you know, to, to go on this trip, people were like, you're just going to sleep outside all night, every night. Like, What about, you know, what about murderers and serial killers and getting mugged and all that kind of stuff? And I, in over a year on the road, I can maybe think of one time where I felt semi skeeved out by a place, but just in general, I think, I think the world is a lot less scary than we make it out to be. And once you get over the fear of kind of going out and going on these adventures, you'll find that. There's a lot of natural beauty out in the world um, and that people and the kindness of strangers is just so much more prevalent than you could ever imagine. The amount of people who have just taken me in off of the street, like not knowing who I was, you know, for for two or three days at a time to ride out a rainstorm. You know, I can I can count on I can count five times in the last year that's happened. Um. Even you know being down here in Mexico, that was that was another thing I got. Um, everyone kept telling me how unsafe Mexico is. Even some of the even some of the locals around here. But I have experienced nothing but kindness, you know, and and a willing to help. I think that's one thing for sure. Is just the world isn't as scary as as we think it is sometimes. And people are way better. <laughs> people are way better and nicer and more willing to help than you could ever imagine. Um, And uh, yeah, that's, that's one thing for sure. That's a big thing. That's a big thing. And as great as solo travel is, I love traveling by myself. I love being on my own schedule, being willing. I love being able to go see whatever I want to see whenever I want to. There is nothing better than sharing a beautiful view or a beautiful experience with someone else, like a close friend or a friend that you have made on the road, those moments are important. Um, I, I traveled around in early 2021 for three months, uh, not early uh, 2022 um, earlier this year. I I kind of just assimilated into this van life caravan in West, in the Western U S like this kid messaged me on new year's uh, like 2021 into 2022. And he's like, Hey dude, we're, We're going to ring in the new year in the desert out in Arizona. You should come. And I mean, I had a blast. Like I I was with those, I was with those guys for almost three months, just popping around the Southwest. And, uh, some of my favorite memories on the road were with the friends that I made there. So solo travel is great, but being with other people is, is really where like the happiest moments happen.
0: Well, congrats on everything so far, and of course, people yeah, can sure. follow you at mikesmototravels dot com. Correct.
1: Yeah. It's at Mike's Moto Travels on Instagram and TikTok, and just like you said, Mike's dot Awesome. So, forty
0: thousand miles in. Catch up in another forty thousand miles or so. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: We should do this again when I'm uh, when I'm down in Ushuaia. It's a, a wonderful
0: place. You'll love it. You'll you'll get there eventually, or not. Maybe you'll get a uh, sidetracked into another equestrian horse equestrian shoot. Who knows? You I think know. my I think my equestrian
1: photography days are over. <laughs> that that, that, that job was great. <laughs> I think they're over for now.
0: Right on. Well, good luck, man. Stay safe out there, and uh, thanks for coming on and sharing your story, Mike.
1: I appreciate it, Jason. Had a blast. <laughs>
0: I wanted to say a quick thanks to Mike for offering himself up as a guest. He's actually a listener of this show. When he reached out, he said he had been listening and thought he could provide some value to the audience. And that's how we got in touch. So I always encourage everybody to get in touch if you haven't done so. Jason at zero to travel.com is my email. And I have a voicemail box where you can leave me a message and I respond to all of those. So get in touch anytime. And thank you very much for being a part of this listening community. Very much appreciate your presence here. I want to leave you with a couple things to send you off on your day, as I like to do quite often. First of all, I mentioned at the top this challenge I wanted to throw out related to some of the stuff we talked about today with Mike. And the challenge here is to explore a tough decision. And you heard Mike at the top talking about having to make that decision to pay off all of his student debt. He had $28,000 in debt or Should he pay it off in one lump sum and kind of start from scratch, but that would require him going back to his job. There are no easy answers here. I'm not saying there aren't. Everybody has their version of tough decisions to make, whether it's money-related, whether it's mindset-related, people-related, perhaps it's business-related. A lot of different things can come up in life, of course. And the challenge is going to be to explore one of these tough decisions for you. If there's something... You feel like you've been putting off exploring or has been acting as a block that is preventing you from kind of going to the next version of whatever it is you want to do in life or the next thing or perhaps starting a new project or whatever the case is. Something you can do is just free write. This is an idea that comes from the wildly popular book, The Artist's Way. I've been through it and they have something called morning pages where you just... Write three pages every day in a notebook, in a journal, whatever. And you have to fill those three pages. Now, it's annoying sometimes and you don't feel like doing it. And when you start off, you don't know what you're going to say. But almost like clockwork, by about a page and a half in, you start to get to some real stuff. I, I don't know why it happens or how it happens. And you can just free write your three pages. You don't have to do this every day, although it's super helpful. And I'm trying to make time to get back in the habit of doing it every day. But... You can just free write based on one decision or one topic. So if you need a topic to start with, it doesn't mean by the end of those free three pages you have to have a a solution. But spend that 10-15 minutes to just sit down and say, you know, here's the tough decision. Write that out on the top of the page and just free write about it. Write about it. Whatever comes out. Don't judge it. Just write. Talk about the decision how you feel what maybe the block is just write about anything it doesn't matter and see where you end up after three pages i'm going to throw that challenge out there to you and i promise if you make time for that you will have some sort of revelation it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to solve the problem but you'll have some new ideas and perspectives and thoughts i can guarantee you that so if you're feeling stuck there's something you can do Now, one more thing, then I'll leave you with a quote. You heard me say it at the top that there is somebody you can check in with anytime who can give you exactly what you need, whether it's advice, encouraging words, inspiration. That sounds ridiculous, right? Like, how can I possibly fulfill that promise? Well, here it is. You check in with you as a child, 10-year-old you, 8-year-old you. Just imagine you as a child in some scene in your bedroom, wherever you are, or doing something, and now you, as your adult self, can come over and just have a conversation and check in, and you can talk to each other. Sounds crazy, I know, but I've gotten to do this through a couple experiences recently, and then I noticed on Mike's About page, Mike, our guest today, he does the same thing. He has this uh, sort of dialogue going with Himself as a kid, he even has his picture up of him as a kid, and he talks about how he doesn't think that child would believe that he'd driven across the USA four times, and that he's a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and that he's rock-climbed all over the U.S., and essentially saying his inner child, himself as a child, would be proud of him and excited for the future. And when you go and you have a little dialogue with yourself, a younger version of yourself. Again, I know it sounds a little out there, but just try it out. See what you might say to each other, perhaps offering each other advice or some words of wisdom, because all of that inner wisdom is right there. And sometimes this little exercise can bring some inner wisdom out uh, in unexpected ways, because it sort of changes the self-exploration, right? Right. So have a little dialogue with your ten-year-old self, your eight-year-old self, your twelve-year-old self, whatever. Pick a version of your younger self and have a chat and see see what comes out. You can always check in with your younger self. You might be surprised at the wisdom they have to share. Okay, I'm going to leave you with a quote from Evil Knievel. I had to do Evil Knievel with the motorcycle theme. Evil Knievel. If you hadn't heard about him was a famous stunt man, and it's interesting because I was reading his Wikipedia page, and boy, this guy—he hustled. I mean, he had a famous jump where he jumped over the fountains at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, where he crashed, and you've probably seen the footage somewhere at some point. Terrible crash, and I didn't know that. You know, he actually convinced the CEO of Caesar's Palace to host the jump. And he had to film it with his own money. He made up a fictitious company and had like fake lawyers calling to get this meeting. He did all this stuff to make it happen. And it turns out that that seems to be a theme in his early career was just kind of doing everything himself. He wanted to, you know, do become a stuntman and do these big stunts and be an entertainer. And so he found ways to make it happen. And I always get inspired by somebody who has the moxie to have a vision and then essentially fake it till you make it. And in order to do things in life, sometimes we have to do some version of that, right? Even if we're tricking ourselves, okay? We don't feel like a professional photographer right now, but we're going to go out and we're going to start taking pictures and we're going to do the thing we want to become, And by doing it, we become it type of idea. A lot of ways to approach it. Anyway, Evil Knievel said this, quote, I decided to fly through the air and live in the sunlight and enjoy life as much as I could. Thanks for listening to the show. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy life. And I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours. Thanks again. Cheers.
1: This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.